still standing, will you please pray with me this, and then we'll get right into the Revelation chapter 7, 1 through 8. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the readers, hearers, and keepers of this word. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel descending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. You guys may be seated. I read a quote this week that really spoke to me and got me thinking a lot about prayer. This quote, it comes from Eugene Peterson, and if you've ever read anything by Eugene Peterson on prayer, uh, he, he has a lot to say on it, but I, I really enjoy what he has to say. And he said this, if we are addicted to results, we will quickly lose patience in prayer. This had me just thinking all week. And I love how after spending four years in the Psalms, really as a time to learn how to pray and think through prayer, we still get to learn what prayer is about. We still get to learn these little nuggets. I, I don't know if I would have thought that if we are addicted to results, we'll quickly lose interest in prayer. But it certainly uh, makes sense why we're in the Psalms for four years. Like it, it, it takes a long time to learn this. It takes a long time maybe to see results. And that quote really rings true for me because I, I do pray. Prayer is something that I, I, I'm, God has gifted me to be able to practice and I'm grateful for it, but I don't always see God moving. Most of the time I don't see God moving and yet he asked me to keep praying. And so, you know what we do? We keep prayer. I mean, it's been really, really rare in my life to see a prayer get answered quickly where I pray for something and then a week later it happens. It's, it's very rare that I've seen that. But prayer over the long haul and as I look back, I can see that it is nothing that I have control over. The way that God answers prayer is not necessarily how I pray about it. Um, it seems to be on some sort of delay that I have no control over. And then even in the way that it happens, I don't have any control over. And for me, this is very comforting. It's very comforting because I don't control it and I don't have to. I just get to be about prayer. And if God is doing some work, then God is working that through. And I don't have to do the work. I can be about that work in prayer. 
If God wants to reveal something to, to me, then I'll accept that. And if not, I'll accept whatever he has for me as well. So for me, going through Revelation very slowly as we've been doing has caused more prayer than answers, if that makes sense. It's, it's driven me to a place where I'm constantly saying to Jesus, I need you, I need you. And he constantly keeps um, showing up and being there. Like we just sung, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. But I expect every week that Jesus will come and fill our midst and be here among us. And I, I, I also think this because as I've thought about Revelation over the years in this book, um, as I've heard people preach it, like they've brought more anxiety than peace. And I think through prayer, Revelation is bringing more peace than anxiety. This may be a subtle, like, uh, beauty to me. And as I feel as I, I pray more, but I know less. Like, I, I'm invited into these mysterious texts, but I don't... Um, or like this strange piece of scripture as I, I, I kind of think about it at times. And I'm finding Jesus is more, he, he is there more than the answers to any of my questions. And I like that. I like that when, when we come to Revelations, it's almost like that quote that I said. It's almost like we as people are addicted to answers. And if we come to Revelation looking for answers, we will either do one of two things. We will quickly lose interest or we will make up our own answers. The number 144,000 stands out in this text of those who are sealed from every tribe. And I believe that this is a bit of a mystery. And yet everyone that has answers to what this number stands for. There are a number of ways the Bible scholars and theologians have interpreted the 144,000 and, the, the, and why the numbers uh, are from the 12 tribes and why the 12 tribes are in the order that they're given in. There's also um, a lot of theories running around the internet that I found quite interesting. I don't know if we have time to get into any of those, but that... Although they use modern platforms, like a lot of these ideas that they currently have are way older than the internet, I find most people searching for answers about what the 144,000 are in this text than there are people who are looking for Jesus in the midst of it. There are some who feel this number means the complete number of those who have served God from the beginning of time until now. So the 12 tribes that are represented would certainly mean Israelites, but it also mean the church in the here and now. There are some who think this number is only the number of martyrs who followed Jesus, those who were crucified for Christ, or, or not crucified for him, but just died for following Jesus. And they think that, okay, once that, the martyred number is sealed, that's when this will all take place. There are some who think that this is uh, the number of people who just at the end of times, just when Jesus is about to come back, that those will be, those 120,000 or 144,000 rather, will be the ones who are following Jesus during a time of intense persecution. That's what, that's what they believe. There are some who think that there's only going to be 144,000 people in heaven. There are some who think that there is a, a, a number of those that this is 
those who are from Israel, whether they're from Israel at the end of time, whether they're from Israel but persecuted for Jesus, whatever it looks like, but they think that these are just those from Israel. There are some who think this is the number of saints who are going to do battle with Jesus against Satan once and for all in Revelation chapter 19. There are some who think this number, 144,000, is literal, but most, uh, I think, um, and like most of the numbers in Revelation, they are, uh, most scholars believe that this number, 144,000, is metaphorical. And, and the idea is, um, is this. If you don't know what 144,000 people look like and you're invited into a scene like John is seen, and he's like, and he sees that like there's 12 from each tribe, but there's thousands of them. So it's kind of like, I don't know. I went to a Mariners game and how many people were there? I, I don't, yeah, five. Jim says five, but that is true. No, but like, I don't know. There was like 20,000. It's not an exact number and it may be 40,000. It may be 30,000. It may be 10,000. It may be, but it's in the thousands. It's more people than I can fathom. It's more people that can fit in my house. And so some people read it that way. And in my studies though, this is what I found interesting. In my studies, I have 10 books, commentaries on Revelation above my desk. I have about another 30 of them on uh, Bible software. I have, and then you also have the expansive internet. And I didn't find two who agree exactly on what this number means. Not two. So if you have a theory on what it means, feel free to have it. It's all yours. You can just fit in with everybody, but no two agree. There are some that I think would fit into certain camps and, uh, and certain that would fit into other ideological camps that they would belong to, and they, but they might disagree about certain numbers. So I'm not about to put in another concrete explanation on what these numbers exactly mean. And I, I do believe them to be metaphor, not exact numbers. I believe them to mean the total of something, whether this be the total for saints of all time or the saints in the end times or those from Israel or all the martyrs. I don't know. And I don't believe we need to know exactly what this means to understand the point that is trying to get across. The point that there are those that are sealed for God's purposes. There are those that are sealed as God's own, that this sealing is absolute and concrete and it can't be taken away. I don't think we need to fully know what 144,000 is to find Jesus in this text. And even if all our questions aren't answered, at least Jesus is seen here and we can understand this through Christ. You can read the sealing uh, that it takes place here as a fulfillment of God's promises that he's made from Revelation chapter, um, Revelation chapter uh, 6, verse 11, where the martyrs were told to rest until their numbers were complete. And that certainly is what 144,000 could mean. They're waiting for that number to be complete. It could be that... Jesus said, he promised that there is going to be a completion. And then all of a sudden, here's the picture. It's being completed. We're, we're getting there. And I don't, I, I, I talked to a couple of you this week and I don't want to cop out on the end time stuff. I really don't want to just be like, 
avoid it or really try to avoid it. However, we don't know the time and the date when Jesus is coming back. We don't know. We can't know. We can, we can see maybe some of the signs, but some of these signs have been around for so long that we just get to live for Jesus here and now and follow him step by step until he co- does come back. But I firmly believe that as God has us and he's led us, I believe that he's led us to Revelation. I believe that this, as we're here, it is for this time now. That it's to encourage us, that it's to build us up, that it's supposed to give us this platform of his love and his grace around his throne so that we can live our lives from this time. I, I do believe Revelation speaks about the future because it does, but I also believe that it speaks about the past. But it's speaking to us right now. How does that impact the way that we live for Jesus right now? This is not a code or a cipher for the future. It is to give us strength to live out whatever the future holds for each of us as we take each and every step as we follow Jesus. I believe the main point that we can get out of this text is God's sealing and how secure it is even if chaos abounds. Even if chaos abounds, just as there will be sealed people of God at the end time, we as Christians and those who are loved by Jesus are sealed as we are right now. I love the sealing of God. It's not the sealing, but the sealing of God. God has sealed his people for a long time. And if we think about it in scripture, He has set aside distinguishing marks that reveal that we are his, that we belong to him, that our lives are dedicated to him. And I mean, one in the, and certainly this is uh, happy that this isn't what it is today. Um, But in the Old Testament, there is circumcision for the boys on the eighth day, where this would be a mark that you were of the people of God. Even as foreigners came in and they wanted to become a part of the people of God, they had to get circumcised in order to do it. We can think about as the Israelites were getting ready to flee Egypt after 400 years of slavery, there was blood over the doorpost and the lentils, or or, or I I don't know what you call them, but the doorpost in Egypt where as the angel of God came over, he just passed right on by. And then in the New Testament, We have baptism where we go down into the water to show that we identify with Christ in his death, in his burial. And as we are lifted out of the water, we also identify with his glorious resurrection. There's also the the seal of the Holy Spirit on our hearts that Jesus leaves us. These these signs are not always external or, or noticeable, but that doesn't mean they aren't there. God knows who his people are, and he wants us to know that. In 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, it says it this way. And it is God who establishes us us, with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put a seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is a beautiful truth. This seal is a mark that indicates possession. You are mine. And not in a negative, controlling way, but no, you're mine like you're my beloved. It is given in a secure manner that is meant that you are going to be delivered in safety. That you are going to be delivered in safety. It's a guarantee. 
It is also to make one known as to who we belong to. Think about it this way. The seal is like an authentication that we are God's. And it's legally protective as well. Legally protective against the legal wages of sin is death. We are protected against that by this seal. This seal that Jesus gives us by his Holy Spirit is a guarantee, meaning the payment has been made. The payment that Jesus' broken body and his shed blood is enough for us and we belong to him. There have been many questions and many answers to what happens to those who follow Jesus in the end times. And what happens to saints here on earth is that they are sealed by Christ and his Holy Spirit. Jesus knows the number of them. He knows the number of the hairs on their head. They are marked out for this time. God has put his seal on them. He has given them the grace to endure the trials and tribulations that are set before them. And if this is you, you'll experience grace for these moments when these moments come. We don't have to fear because God will be with us. And I think of those who have endured trials in the past. Those who have endured very hard times. Those who have walked through those hard times with peace and with grace. And you're like, oh wow, you were established for this. I think of Esther as she, she goes in and she is, you know, and Mordecai tells her, maybe you were set up for such a time as this. And she walks in boldly into the king's, uh, the, the king's throne room and asks for things. I think of Corey Ten Boom as she walked through the concentration camps of the, uh, of the, of the Nazis and, and how she walked in peace. And I look at her story and I'm like, how did you do that? I marvel at that. I think of those who have done this famously. And, and also I think of those who have known personally, which they might be some of you, so I won't reveal those stories. Corey Ten Boom wrote a book. It's okay if I reveal her story, right? Not necessarily okay that I reveal yours. But as I've watched people go through hard times, as I think about my own hard times and my own trials, and as I ponder these, I feel as though God's grace was there for each and every one of those people for the trials that they had to endure. I couldn't imagine going through what Corey Ten Boom went through, but I don't have to. And if I ever do have to, God's grace will be sufficient for me in those trials. And I, I like to think that I've been delivered safely through trials, not without pain, not without scars, but safely in body and spirit, I'm still standing with Jesus. And God has used events in my life that I thought were trials at the time, and they certainly were, but to shape me more and more into his image. <clears throat> I think about what the devil meant to destroy me, to steal, kill, and destroy me. God has used to guide and lead me and make me into the person that he wants me to be because he's sealed me. Because he's sealed me and he's given his grace for these times. And I think as we get into this, the Christian life is not always easy. We are promised that we are going to all land on hard times. Some of us will land on harder times than others. And some of us more often. There will be times when, when we feel like we're at the end of time. Like we're at the end of the world. Like we're at the end of our rope. 
And it's all about to come crashing down on us. And if it wasn't for the angels that hold back the winds of destruction and the the angels that say, not yet, then we would be destroyed. But I ask us for this time here, this number is sealed. What do we do in these hard times? This is why we need to know that God has us. That God has sealed us. That he has sealed us up. That Jesus' broken body and his shed blood are enough for us. That Jesus' forgiveness is total and complete for all our sins. That even the ones that seem to cling to us and, and keep on persisting in our lives, that Jesus has died and he's cleansed us from all our unrighteousness. We need to know that the good news that the Holy Spirit speaks to us about that the love that we feel when Jesus says we are beloved, when we hear that we belong to him, that when we hear we are sealed, that we know, not out of arrogance or pride or thinking that we deserve to be sealed, but that we belong to him in humility. And there's this stirring in our soul that rejoices that we are his. Think of this seal. Think of it like this. We are authenticated members of Jesus' family. We need this mark in our life. We need this belief in our life. We need this faith in our life to humbly walk out what Jesus has for us. And I think during the hard times, we need to believe this. During the easy times, we need to believe this. I believe that it is hard time because of the nature of grace. It's a hard time for us to to believe this and wrap our head around it because of the impossible nature of grace. Grace isn't earned. There's nothing we can do to gain more of it. God just gives it and we receive it. It is a free gift that cost Jesus his life and yet we can't purchase it. We can't bottle it up. We can't do anything like that because it was purchased by Jesus' blood and it was final and complete. There are times when We think that we need to work to gain more God's grace. And God says, take my yoke, take my burden. It's light. There are times when we are tempted to believe that he will leave us because we don't measure up. And that's not true. He will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus has sealed us by his Holy Spirit. And we can trust this. His grace, his love, his forgiveness, his righteousness, his very life is everlasting and he has given it to us and his seal is given us in a secure manner that cannot be moved. That is what the meaning of sealed is. So these 144,000 that were sealed are sealed forever. Jesus knows he has them. It cannot be removed. And as we get ready to walk through our next hard time. I pray that we may believe what Jesus says about us. Walking with Jesus, like prayer, isn't about results. There's not markers that we get to in each one of our lives that mean that we've arrived someplace. There will be life change, but it is often slower than we want. Amen? Like it's slower than we want. It goes more unnoticed than we might think it does until we look back and go, oh, I'm not the same person. Jesus must be changing me. But we are sealed by Jesus' grace and we get to remember that. 
There will be times because there will be times when we feel like Jesus doesn't hear us. There will be times when we feel like we've been dropped off in a hard place with no way out and no one around to help us. But we are sealed by the grace of Jesus. He has a mark on us. He's put on put us put it on us and it will not fade and it will not go away. So let us keep walking even through the hard times. I pray that we don't get stuck trying to figure out what the number 144,000 means. As I've seen so many people do. If you feel like you already know, that's good. I look it up on the internet. There's probably people who agree with you. And uh, there are certainly those people who don't agree with you if you have figured out. And that's okay. I don't think it's wrong to have theories or opinions or try and figure this thing out. But we should never lose sight of the one who seals us ever. We should never lose sight of the fact that we are sealed by Jesus, that we are his possession, that he doesn't lose us or forget that we are his. In fact, if we're lost, Scripture says that he'll leave the 99 and find the one that is lost and bring them back into the fold. He will seek us out and he will find us. And when he finds us, he rejoices. He doesn't scold us. He says, welcome back to the fold. Let's go. May we know this. May we grow in this. May his seal feel more real than ever before. May we accept the seal that Jesus has put on us that he wants to put on us and trust him and follow him. Maybe this is for the first time that you do this. So you're in your first steps and you're not sure if the seal is real or not. Or maybe it's your 10,000th step because you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. May we not grow weary trusting. May we not grow weary as we learn to lean on grace and know that we are sealed. And you know what? Just as we can't control the outcomes of prayer, we can't control the results, we get to leave the results of our life up to Jesus, trust Him, and walk and trust that we are sealed. So Jesus, will you please do this work in our life? Lord, we thank You that You have sealed us. I pray that You will continue to reveal this to us. Lord, I pray that even as we have stuff that we need to repent from, that we're not doing stuff right, that your love still covers in and covers a multitude of our sins. Lord, that you have set apart people for you and you know us. And I'm so thankful for that. Lord, may you take care of the results in our lives because we can't. In Jesus' name, amen.